This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick the two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 year older, 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1 800 Next Step. In New York, call 1 877 8 Hope NY. In Tennessee, call 1 800 889 How's it going and welcome to episode 126 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. You can follow me at 80Grade, that's all spelled out. And you can follow Kevin Hasting at HastingKevin. This week, I get to welcome back to the pod one of my favorites, Dave Mendelson. Mendy, as he's affectionately referred to throughout the fantasy baseball community, is co-owner and regular host of the Triple Play Fantasy Network of Shows. You can find them on YouTube or wherever you're listening to this podcast. You could probably find their podcast as well. Mendy's also contributed over at Fantrax, Fantasy Pros, and even dabbled in right here at PitcherList as a fill-in host on our own on the corner alongside Nick Pollock a few months back. Feel free to go back into the archives and check those out. Those were good times. I could think of no one else better. I'd rather go deep into the trade deadline fallout. I'm sure everybody's been talking about it all week long. We're going to take our own little take on it, focusing on the implications on what you might be considering for your fab bits this Sunday night. But before we get into all that, Mendy, thanks for joining me. I We talked about it a little bit just now before we start recording, but I know you've got a lot going on right now. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Hopefully I don't lose you halfway through this podcast. <laughs> I hope not either. Or we got optimum internet. So it's been good for the most part, but I don't want to jinx anything. But I appreciate you having me on the show, man. I loved being on the first time. You guys got an awesome podcast and I'm looking forward to talking about a lot of trades, man. This was a pretty packed trade deadline. I was, I don't know about you, but I was surprised. Like I, I think... I felt the overall feeling going into this deadline was this is going to be boring, isn't it? Nothing's going to mm-hmm. happen, especially with the expanded playoffs. All these teams feel like they're in it or they're too big of a market to make big moves. Obviously, we saw at least one big market team make plenty of moves we'll get to later. But yeah, I don't know how you if you felt a little surprised or if this is pretty much how you hoped it would go. I think the biggest surprise for me was the how much of a seller the New York Mets became because this is a team that had the biggest payroll in baseball ever since Cohen bought the team. It's been just buy, buy, buy. And now he's just selling everything and anything not nailed down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they got a lot of great prospects back in their farm system, which is going to make them an interesting team in a couple of years. But I think that was to me, the biggest surprise, obviously there's the Mariners dealing their, their 
primary closer to the Diamondbacks. Usually you don't see a contender dealing one of their best relief pitchers because Seattle's still trying to get a playoff spot at this point. Who knows if they'll actually get in the playoffs, but then Arizona's fading, so they needed to make some moves. The Orioles, I thought were going to make a little bit more of a splash considering this is their first time contending in what feels like at least half a decade, but they did make their one move. So overall, a lot of moves were done, but it was just interesting once the landscape settled in just to see how many moves these contending teams were making and just now where we're going to be going to the last two months of the season. I think what I was the most surprised about was the fact that the Colorado Rockies actually knew they could actually make trades this year. So they obviously (laughs) were told since this time last year, hey, that you can make trades too. And so obviously they made some moves that we'll get to in a little bit as well. But last year was a little bit of a head scratcher for how they handled it. Yeah, we got a lot of trades. As I talked about, we're not going to get into every single move. We're going to kind of really focus on the moves or the group of moves that may impact how we're looking at Fab. And for longtime listeners, we are going to ch- I'm going to change up the format this week a little bit just so we don't go three hours. And I know some of you out there listening would not mind that whatsoever. And I appreciate you for that. But that would mean I'll be up quite late editing this bad boy. So we are going to go through grouping by group grouping of all these trades and the impact. And we're going to, many and I are going to go ahead and kind of lump in what our suggestions on fab pickups based on these moves are. And we'll still make references to the categories that we always go through, whether it's you're looking for strikeouts, you're looking for power, you're looking for speed, what have you. Some of these impacts, some of these are going to impact more than one category, but we're going to get through that. We're still going to get plenty of content for you here. Let's get right into it, Mandy. We got, I, I didn't put these in any particular order, so they're not in like biggest impact to lowest impact. I'm just going to go straight through it here. We'll start here. We'll start in the great state of Pennsylvania where the Pirates took Bailey Falter from Philadelphia. Falter had been in the minors for the Phillies, but was recalled by Pittsburgh and started for the Pirates on Saturday. That's today as we're recording this. He went four innings which is not too much of a surprise if you looked at his logs from the minors in Philadelphia as well. But he went four innings. He did allow six hits in that time and a walk. He did get two strikeouts along the way. Can Falter make a fantasy impact with Pittsburgh, assuming he can just take the rotation spot of Rich Hill, who was just sent out to San Diego? Yeah, I'm looking at his log right now, like average fastball velocity, just under 92 miles per hour not anything. We already knew Bailey Falter is not going to blow you away with strikeouts. To me, I'm probably staying away just personally. So Bailey Falter, a 513 ERA so far this season in just over 40 innings, obviously going into this start. He had 84 innings pitch of a 386 ERA over the life of 20 appearances going into the year. So he is somebody that I've had shown success before. He has excellent command of 47 percent walk rate in his career in the major leagues but at this point right now the Pittsburgh Pirates are just throwing guys out there obviously the Pirates are not making the playoffs their rotation right now is Mitch Keller Bailey Falter Johan Oviedo and Quinn Priester so if you need innings I would like to go a lot of other options than Bailey Falter he is not going to give you strikeouts I don't really see the appeal here personally Obviously, you just mentioned he just went four innings in his debut for them. I just don't think there's any reason you would pick him up in any circumstance. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in that just because the fact that I I think I'm going to agree with you lockstep in this assessment. I just I always hold on to the fact that 
Billy Falter helped win people some leagues last year down mm-hmm. the stretch. And a lot of people will look at his daily log from last year and be like, look what he did. Look at his ratios. He even added in some strikeouts at that time. But then look at his schedule. Philadelphia's schedule for the majority of their rotation at the end of last year was for lack of a better word, it was a cakewalk. And a lot of guys looked really good toward the end of the year. Falter being one of those that really comes to mind for me because I had him rostered in a lot of different places. If you look at Pittsburgh's schedule, at least if Falter were to stick in this rotation spot and they stick with the five-man rotation, they don't do anything funky. He just came up and faced Milwaukee in Milwaukee. He's going to get Atlanta next. He'll probably get the Mets after that, which at this point, it seems like that's not going to be that bad. And he probably, he'll probably end up facing either Minnesota or St. Louis after that. So the schedule is, is definitely not a cakewalk. He might have one or two good matchups in there, but I definitely don't want him for that Atlanta start. That's for sure. So he gave up six hits in tonight's outing. How many of those do you think were hard hit balls? Oh, man. Six hits? I'm going to go four. All six. All six. <laughs> Here I am trying to give him more credit than he's due. <laughs> yeah, I just think... Again, I, if you're trying to go in any angle right now, it's like he's on a team that's not going to get a lot of wins, not giving you strikeouts. He's not giving you a lot of innings. Obviously, he's giving up a ton of hard contact. As you saw his debut, all the hits were hard contact. There's no reason, even in 15-team leagues, that you should add him at this point. Hopefully, if he has maybe a couple, one or two starts, maybe he could be someone that'd be intriguing to look at next year if you're like doing like a DC 50 and someone you're going to draft late for depth. But I find really hard a case for him to be on your fantasy team this year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got to check my roster trip. I think I got him in two places, but they're both DC or mm-hmm. draft and hold styles. And I think that rotation is going to have to be pretty, pretty hurting to, to move him into the active rotation. There. Yeah. All right. Well, I mentioned that Rich Hill left the Pirates along with him. G-Man Choi was sent over to San Diego as well. The Pirates also sent Carlos Santana to Milwaukee. So, the Pirates are missing a first baseman based on these moves alone. Are you seeing any in the recent days since the trade deadline, somebody kind of filling in that time that's worth looking at? It was interesting. First, Carlos Santana, who I thought was an intriguing option. He was like a most added player after the trade. And I haven't had his stats added up since I did the show on Thursday, but he had been hitting 180 over his last 26 games going into Thursday night's game. So like with that obviously includes with Milwaukee, he'd been just in a dreadful slump and he obviously hasn't really done much in the last couple games since, but going back to Pittsburgh, it's going to be, I think mostly Connor Joe and Alfonso Rivas. You'll see uh, Andy Rodriguez get occasional where he might start out a catcher and then shift over to first base, or maybe he'll get the occasional first base start, but it's a, definitely a timeshare between Connor Joe and Alfonso Rivas. Joe started there the three, all three games in the series against the Tigers. And then now in the current series against the Brewers, Rivas has started all three games at first base there. So I do think it's genuinely going to be split. Obviously, Connor Joe can also play the outfield. Rivas did almost hit for the cycle last night. He hit actually just missed it out by a double. So he was hot. He started there tonight. As far as them being somebody that you can pick up and roster Connor Joe I'm sure in a lot of 15 team leagues has been rostered or if he's out there definitely could be worth looking at Rivas again same type of deal I think they're fringe 15 team ads 
Rivas and Connor Joe both hit lefties extremely well. I think Connor Joe is hitting like 270 against lefties this season, and Rivas is hitting really well against left-handed pitching as well. The only thing is Connor Joe does hit righties a little bit better than Rivas does, but at the end of the day, it seems to me like a very big timeshare between those two. And until unless one of those get hurt, one of them get hurt, I just see them splitting the duty at first base. Yeah, that wouldn't be very much different than the kind of playing time either one of them have been getting mm-hmm. with their respective teams. And Connor Joe's playing like once every four games before this. And Revis, since getting called up for AAA with San Diego, only played three games. Or he only, yeah, he only started three games, excuse mm-hmm. me. And batting at the bottom of the order, San Diego, they're both either hitting leadoff or fifth in their time with Pittsburgh. So that tells you something about the change of scenery and the roster shift that they are going into. I, I think that... The only way either one of these guys is going to be on pretty much any of my teams is if I can see that one of them is getting mm-hmm. more than the lion's share of playing time. It's all about number of plate appearances here. Like you said, they both had a three-game stretch in a row, and we'll see how that turns out next as the next series rolls around. If I see that Rivas is playing pretty much every day, and Connor Joe's still in that, his role doesn't really change with the Pirates, then maybe it's somebody I take a look at next week, but it's probably not somebody that I'm going to spend my very few fab dollars left on at this point. I need something at this stage of the season, something a little with a little bit more of a guarantee, but it's definitely something I'm going to be watching for the future, especially if I need that corner spot in my 15-teamers. Alfonso Rivas, I have to double check what Connor Joe's, like how hard he hits the ball and his like max exit velocity, but... Alfonso Rivas in this game had the second highest top exit velocity just behind McCutcheon, 103.3 mile per hour top exit velocity in this game, one of his hard hit balls. Obviously, I don't know how analytically inclined the Pirates are going to be when looking and citing playing time, but Rivas does seem like he can hit the ball pretty hard. So that might be something that might be intriguing if there's some power in that bat that could develop here. It was interesting. We made plenty of jokes in the offseason that like Pittsburgh was just collecting terrible first basemen to see how many that they could actually put out there. And then they, by this time at the trade deadline, they've sent them all the way, whether they've DFA'd them or traded them or whatever. And now we're, we've got guys fighting over the position. So yes. <laughs> full circle in Pittsburgh at that position. Yeah. All right, let's go to one of what we, I think most of us thought was going to happen. They announced that they were going to be big sellers as a cart. I'm talking about the St. Louis Cardinals, basically saying that almost everybody was available except for Nolan Arenado. They did announce that they weren't going to, even though there were a whole lot of rumors revolving around him, possibly going to the Dodgers or what have you. But that's the beauty of the trade rumor period is that the rumors are usually more exciting than the trades that actually happen sometimes. But they did open up some playing time in their rotation and their bullpen. They shipped off Jack Flaherty to Baltimore and a few bullpen arms, including acting closing closer Jordan Hicks going up to Toronto. Are there any arms in St. Louis you're actually watching closely to see if they can be fantasy relevant with more now with more opportunity ahead with not only the bullpen, but now with the opening in the rotation as well? I think the only intriguing thing here is Jojo Romero, potentially. He picked up two saves since Hicks been traded. So he'd be the arm I target if you need saves right now. Once Helsley does come back. I expect him to be the guy. I'd been reading a lot of articles online from Cardinals beat reporters, and 
he was they were saying that the Cardinals bullpen is going to be shaken up this offseason and they need to find out if Helsey is going to be their number one closer like no questions asked and it's almost like the rest of the season is going to be a trial because he was dominant last year but was not the case as much this year before he got hurt so they do want to see if he can be the guy Giovanni Gallegos has been a fall from grace he's he was a looked like a phenomenal find for them when they traded him or for Luke Voigt but now he's not even getting save chances with Hicks gone and Helsey gone down. So it's definitely very interesting just how far he's fallen. As far as starting pitchers, this might be the worst rotation in baseball outside the Pittsburgh Pirates. You've got Miles Michaelis as your ace. Adam Wainwright, who just, I think, just gave up seven earned runs yesterday or something ridiculous. Yeah, like Steven Dormatz, Matthew Libertor, and Dakota Hudson. None of those pitchers outside of Michaelis occasionally get any type of strikeouts. They all pitch to contact. And if you look in their minor leagues system, their top pitcher, Tink Hentz, their top pitching prospect, I don't think debuts until earliest next season. There is not a lot of hope for this rotation. I don't know if they're going to pick up a free agent arm out there, if there's just somebody floating around or they whatever the case may be. But this team is bad in terms of pitching. And there was a tweet, and I should have found it before the show. I don't know if you saw it, Adam. There was a guy that put out all the trades they had made over the last few years. Did you see that one? No, sorry, I'm not in my head. It's something else. Oh, okay. There was, I'm going to find it in a second, but there was a tweet about all the, they traded away Zach Gallon and Sandy yes, Alcantara. Said, yeah. Imagine trading, like, yeah, a Rosarina, Zach Gallon. Yeah. And all, I did see that tweet. Yeah. Exactly like they they traded away an all star team. And they oh, got man. back, yeah. the return was ridiculous that they got, I have to find the tweet, but yeah, that, that rotation is awful. They don't have a ton of great pitchers coming up in the minor leagues. They have a couple interesting arms, but this te- I'm worried about this team, man, especially for the rest of this season. I don't think there's any pitching targets for that rotation at all going forward. Yeah. I forgot that. Of course, I forgot to mention Jordan Montgomery, no longer in the rotation as well as yeah. he was shipped off to Texas as well as they were going to be without Nathan Eovaldi. So he pretty much takes his spot in that rotation. But yeah, I agree, man. Like the only one that at one point may have been interesting would have been Matthew Libertor, but that's just as much of a question mark as anything else that, that we talked about as well, going, going through the rest of the season. Yeah. And he's never been a big strikeout guy. He's, I, since doing the call up on our podcast feed, I've gotten to learn prospects. I not like a prospect head, but I think better than the average fantasy baseball person. And I've never been a Libertor fan. I just think, again, the strikeout stuff isn't there. And I feel like he's he's gonna be one of those guys that back end rotation guy. He's okay, but not moving the needle in any way, shape, or form. He's gonna be a Cardinal. He's gonna be a St. Yeah. Louis Cardinal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think this is probably one of the bigger surprises too that came out of this is the fact that the Cardinals made all these moves, but they did not touch their outfield. Like all the calls of action, Tyler O'Neill is still a Cardinal. Just the fact that there's not a more clear playing time for all the guys that are coming up. Mason Wynn has not come up yet from what I can tell. Maybe I missed something, but with Paul DeYoung also going off to Toronto as well, you think that they would have done this so that they could make a more clear, a clearer path for some of these guys like Jordan Walker, obviously still playing every day. Now he's struggling and Alec Burleson, all these guys that really need to have more regular playing time. And I expected an opening to be created in that realm. Yeah. It's interesting that especially with how Tyler O'Neill has been with Ali Marmol, that they wouldn't have moved him and they have so much 
hitting depth in their minor leagues as well. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. But the Cardinals, for being an organization that was good for so long, really look like they're in trouble and that they need to figure things out really quickly. And by the way, the tweet, for those that are listening, I want to just make sure I give you the full tweet here. Sandy Alcantara, Zach Gallen, Adolis Garcia, Randy Arozarena, Lane Thomas, Patrick Wisdom, and the number 37 pick were dealt away from the Cardinals. And they've received from that Marcelo Zuna, Matthew Libertor, a rental John Lester at 37 years old, a comp B pick, Drew Robinson, and Cash. That Cash is feeling really good about himself. (laughs) That is absolutely (laughs) wild that an organization can fumble the bag as much as they have with trades recently. I mean, all the jokes obviously revolve around the outfielders that they've sent away and be like, oh, of course, a middling outfielder leaves St. Louis and goes to another team and becomes an all-star, a Rosarina being the prime example of winning rookie of the year. But yeah, as you just listed off, they can fumble the bag with pitching as well, it seems. And all the jokes about the Cardinal devil magic working out and it seems to be wearing off at least through this season. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. It'll be interesting to see what they do. They do need to figure things out this offseason. So I'm sure that they'll things will get shaken up a little bit. Yeah, I would expect as much. All right, we got a lot more trades to get to. We will get to all of them right after this quick break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we're back. Let's talk about what the Nationals were able to do. And they were able to help out the Chicago Cubs by sending third baseman Heimer Candelario. And they also demoted infielder and former everyday second baseman Luis Garcia to triple A. 
shortly after the trade deadline, of course, this is infielder Luis Garcia. If you're searching for him, there are a whole bunch of Luis Garcias. We all know this. We're talking about the second baseman here for the Nationals. Is there anything that you've noticed that could be interesting about the Nationals' new look infield moving forward? First, have you ever seen someone designated for was designated for assignment or no he's optioned have you seen anybody optioned before in your memory that was hitting 260 yeah he wasn't doing bad and then let's not get into the fact who they replaced him with like they demoted Luis Garcia for Jeter Downs who you go ahead and spoil it what he's actually been hitting yeah Jeter Downs has been awful but Luis Garcia was hitting 263. Like, that's above league average. Yes, he, he was doing pretty much, much every out. day. But, like, the only thing I can think of is they were just trying to continue to tank, right? They're just like, hey, we want to be the absolute worst we can possibly be out there. You are too good to be on this team. You're going <laughs> what are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I was just like, looking at all these guys for this team, and there's not a lot here. Jake Alou who I'm sure many of you have never heard of. I had never heard of him until I was researching earlier today. Starting third baseman, he's got a hit in three straight games. He's not going to be doing anything. Adele Morrow Vargas, he plays a couple different positions for them, but he doesn't move the, eel, the needle either. Jeter Downs was a former top prospect in baseball. He's the starting second baseman. Jeter Downs, and you want to add him, but he was in AAA and he was hitting 175 in 36 games in AAA and he has eight stolen bases over that time. So maybe there's some steals there, but I can't see any of these guys being usable for you. Just like we were talking about with Falter for the Pirates. This is literally, I don't see in even a 15 team league, any of these guys sniffing your roster. Yeah. Jeter Downs called up as of Friday has not started a game since being called up. And so of course they send down their everyday second baseman to call up who knows what role Jeter Downs is filling? <laughs> Mascot, maybe? I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe they um, see Jeter and they think Derek Jeter. Oh, he must be. Oh, wait. That's He walks into the clubhouse. I'm like, yeah. oh, no, you're the wrong number on. This isn't my <laughs> number. It's not number two. No, sorry. Oh, oh man. man. All right, let's stay in the NL East here. Miami Marlins did a whole bunch of shuffling. I don't know if it's more or less than what everybody expected, but they definitely made some moves. I I was a little I was a little surprised by both good and maybe bad ways. We'll get into all of them. I'm actually less interested because Miami's doing so well about all these in, the guys that they brought in. I'm more interested to, to hear your thoughts on the holes that these players have left at their old team. So let's just list them off here. First of all, they brought in Josh Bell to take over first base from Garrett Cooper who they sent to San Diego as well, splitting time with G-Man Choi, who went over there from Pittsburgh. Jake Berger, he's going to take over third base from Gene Segura, who was DFA'd after the deadline, after initially being sent to Cleveland in the Josh Bell swap. So I'm doing this in the most complicated way possible. I'm just going to make sure everybody understands that. David Robinson takes over the closing duties at least 90% of the time, according to everybody's favorite, Craig Mish. Less interest, like I said, I'm less interested into seeing the. I see what these guys are doing in Miami. Just about all of them are, especially in 15 teamers, are rostered across the board here. But they are all leaving holes in their former teams, whether it's at first base in Cleveland, at second base, I guess, in Chicago. I think that was the thing that was the most annoying to me was that Jake Berger was one start away at second base. 
for the White Sox to get eligibility, at least in Yahoo, because you only need the five games started there. But of course, the Miami Marlins would trade for another guy playing second base on a regular basis because that's just what they do this year. I mean, there are some there are actually some holes Miami is going to be having as Jazz Chisholm left Saturday's game experiencing some cramping in his right hamstring. He looked in visible pain as he sat there on the dirt waiting to get off. So we'll see how that works out as far as if he's just day to day or if the cramping is bad enough where he has to actually hit the IL. Yuri Perez is going to fill one of those holes in Miami as he is expected to start for the Marlins in Cincinnati on Monday. So that is a nice two-stepper for anybody at home looking to grab somebody who might still be on the wire there. You should definitely be pulling Perez into your rotations on your bids if he was dropped the first time around. But yeah, I'll go very back to you. What kind of holes are you seeing being filled in Cleveland, in Chicago, and in New York as they lost their as the New York Mets lost their closer in David Robertson? I mean, with the Mets, just to start it out, looks like Brooks Raley is going to be the guy that they're going to go with. Adam Adovino is there, but I believe he's a free agent at the end of the season. So I think that Brooks Raley had pitched the ninth inning in three straight outings, and he had gotten saves, I believe, in two of those games. And then he pitched the 10th inning in his next outing. So it seems like to me, since Brooks Brooke Raley is under control for the team for past next season, that they are going to give him kind of the look for the rest of this year. Obviously, Diaz will be the closer there going forward. You saw the Cleveland Guardians free up that first base spot, and... I would expect that at some point this year is going to be filled by Kyle Manzardo just for the fact that they obviously just traded my guy Aaron Savale to go get him. And he was not going to sniff playing time with Tampa, but he should with the Guardians. He does struggle against left-handed pitching, and he'd been pretty much, I think, in their minds was going to be a platoon bat. I think the Guardians will give him every chance to try to work through that. The Guardians have a really bad lineup really bad lineup so they have no reason not to give Manzardo playing time there and Josh Bell hadn't really been moving the needle and as far as Chicago White Sox was that the third team you said yeah as they lose Jake Berger who had been filling in at second base on a regular at least for the last four games prior to the deadline yeah and the Chicago White Sox have been underperforming shocker like they do every single season I, at the end of the day Jake Berger is gone. Andres Jimenez started. Uh, I'm sorry, not Andres Jimenez. Who started there oh, tonight? The Zach Zach Ramillard started there tonight. I he hit ninth. I don't think that <laughs> I, I, the not White a real Sox person. are a mess. Not a real player. Yeah, I didn't even. I'm looking at the box score. I never heard of that name. Elvis Andrews is their shortstop. There there are some nice players on the Sox, but in terms of fantasy viable options, filling in for Berger. I don't see it. I, I really don't. Again, this is a team that going into tonight's game, I believe the White Sox have a losing record. I'm pretty sure it's, I'm trying to remember how bad they were. I'm trying to look at the standings really quick, but Michael they, Kopech's been a bust. Dylan Cease has been a bust this year. They traded away Lucas Giolito. Eloy Jimenez looks like he got hurt in the fight that took place tonight. We didn't even talk about that. That's yeah. <laughs> well, no, the White Sox, like it, it almost feeds oh, right yeah. into it. Um, yeah, that's true. 
Oh man, that was a sight. That was a sight to to behold. Just as you pointed out to me, I had not seen the Pitching Ninja slow motion recap, the Haymaker or whatever you want to call it. I don't know if I would call it a Haymaker. That's probably not the correct term for it, but <laughs> it was, uh, it's still confusing. Granted, this just happened, I don't know, like an hour or two ago. Um, and we haven't really had enough time to get into it. And by the time you're listening to this, maybe there's more information out there. But as we were talking before the show, like I just, I don't know what happened here. Like, I'm so, I'm still confused. Yeah, it just looks like that Ramirez fenced him standing over top of him, but it didn't look like Tim Anderson did anything wrong. But the funny part is Tim Anderson throws his stuff down, acts like he's about to box him. And then as Ramirez is getting dragged to the ground by Kopech, he lands a right hook to his jaw and knocks him to the ground. Oh, man. It, yeah. <laughs> We're speechless. <laughs> Both these teams have, I think, been very frustrated all season the white Sox. this is every year for them if i was a white Sox fan shout out mike carter who's one of the white Sox fans i know everybody in the fantasy baseball space knows him it, i can't imagine rooting for this team every year like i would genuinely just feel like there's no hope it yeah i can imagine it being one of the more frustrating things in anybody's life if you're rooting for them on the south side there Oh man. Yeah. Going back to, I'll go back to Cleveland real quick. And just the only th- thing I worried about with Manzardo, I totally agree. The opening is there. Obviously t- Josh Naylor also going to be out for the next couple of weeks, at mm-hmm. least with an oblique issue. Seems like at three weeks is almost seems like it's going to be the minimum in that scenario. Manzardo seems like he could. The thing is, I don't know where Manzardo's at as far as health himself. He hasn't played a game since July 6th, it, it, a professional game. Maybe he's playing some slow pitch softball with his buddies or whatever, but his game log stops on the 6th of July. I'm not sure where he's at as far as game readiness. If they're, if Cleveland's actually going to want to put him into, if they, when they, when he's ready to go into game readiness, are they going to want to throw him right into the Cleveland lineup or are they going to want to utilize this for time manipulation or whatever other excuse you want to put in there and say, Hey, no, we need to see you in our system a little bit, make sure that you're right and get in there and, Maybe he gets a cup of coffee at the end of the month or except in, in, in August, or maybe he does like a Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll situation where they call him up with just enough time to keep rookie eligibility for next season so that he has a possibility of going on a tear and winning rookie of the year and getting that compensation pick for them. But I would worry what kind of production you would see out of Manzardo at the major league level and how much you might see of it just because we have literally haven't seen him play in over a month now yeah i was trying to like really quickly go through just to see why he hadn't been playing and i'll feel stupid because i'll probably find it after the show but i do think if as long as he's healthy that i know you had mentioned about being able to get the extra draft pick leaving him eligible to win rookie of the year i think there's a lot of guys like Mason Wynn, who I know you touched on before. Like it's going to be one of those things once we get to towards the end of August when they won't exhaust the rookie eligibility that we'll see all these guys get called up. And I think he'll be in that same boat, barring that he's healthy. So I do think it's going to be probably another two, three weeks before we see him. Mm-hmm. But if he's healthy, I would expect that for the last month and a half of the fantasy season, you're going to have him at least up there and the Guardians, like you mentioned, Naylor's on the IL, Josh Bell's gone. There's no reason to not run him out there to give him experience for next season. So I think he will be in that everyday lineup for them. So he's intriguing. I'm sure he'll be somebody that people will look to bid on and fab in the coming weeks. But yeah, I, I, there's not a lot moving the needle, I think, for this season. I don't expect him to be a, a league-winning player for you this year. 
Yeah, and I totally agree with that. That the end of August call-ups is going to be what the September call-ups used to be. Like that cup of coffee players would get after mm-hmm. after rosters used to expand to what 30, 30 players or whatnot. Oh, yeah. And you would get a guy come in and nobody would ever go on the IL in September because they didn't have to because the rosters are so big. It was really annoying from a fantasy perspective. And we would see these guys come up and they might play two out of seven games in a week because again the rosters were so big especially on a bad team where all they're trying to do is get a look at players this is that this is the new version of that where guys are getting their call up at the very end of the season what i like about it is that it gives you every indication that they are going to be on the opening day roster for Mm -hmm. next season you there's less question marks for most of these players as long as they don't completely fall on their face during that that six week trial period at the end of the season so it's something to keep in mind for going into next year when you always question like how much playing time are they going to get are they going to be on the opening day roster obviously we saw that with henderson we saw that with carroll this year and they hit the ground running definitely carroll did henderson's definitely coming back around as well to uh both of them are in the front running for their respective rookie of the years because they did keep that eligibility. This is not related, completely not related, but it's made me think of something and I do want to ask you before we move on. So we're talking about awards, right? Since we're talking about rookie of the year, who's your national league Cy Young right now? Oh, geez. Let's see. All right. My, let's see if I get my feet. I don't have my future bids in front of me, but I think I threw, <laughs> I think I threw 10 bucks on Woodruff and, oh, geez. Let's just say I threw my 10 bucks on Woodruff. That one's not holding up, obviously. <laughs> right now, if I had to throw it right now, I don't have my, I don't have my odds in front of me, but because obviously American League MVP is going to be Otani. I had better League, be this year. <laughs> oh, 100%. American League Cy Young, I, I believe it's, pretty much Garrett Cole's to lose. Garrett Cole is like the only minus money favorite. He's got 10 wins and an under three ERA. I don't think anybody's even close to him. National League MVP Acuna is like heavy favorite. No one's touching Acuna right now in the National League MVP. The most open vote seems to be the National League Cy Young. So I'm curious because I just bet a lot of money on a candidate. <laughs> So I'm curious to see who your thoughts are. If you were to look at the race right now and tell me who you think it is. All right. So we got at least what I'm looking at right here. We've got Spencer Strider, Blake Snell, Zach Gallen, Logan Webb. Those are the top four here. Some outliers. Of course, you got Justin Steele who's having a great year. Zach Wheeler, Corbin Burns, who's come back into form. And Jesus Luzardo is looking pretty good, especially in... The, the second third of the season yeah. and onward. All right. So if I had throwing a decent amount of money onto any of these guys right now, I'll, I'll probably, I probably go to Zach Allen just because I think he can continue to do what he's doing the rest of the way more so than everybody else. And I'm not going to take, I'm not usually going to take the number one favorite, which is Spencer Strider. He has the lowest odds rate, but none of these guys are negative. Yeah. They're all positive returns here. So stop making me itch to figure out who I should be rooting for. Cause I want to root for you to win something. Oh, you're my guy. <laughs> okay. So I bet Spencer Strider. Okay. And the reason being, I do think Gowan and Snell, obviously they're, the favorites are they're right behind him in terms of favorites. Blake Snell, I made sure to bake the bet before tonight because Blake Snell is pitching tonight. So I figured that it would affect the odds. Sure. 
Blake Snell went five innings tonight. Five innings, four hits, three earned runs, four walks, eight strikeouts. So the he still has the ERA lead right now by a decent margin at two six one, but he's he is like a one point three WHIP on the year, and he also is about to be eight and nine on the season. That's yeah, that's not gonna. The voters aren't going to like being under five hundred. Under five hundred, a one point three WHIP. I think his like WAR is two. Or something like that. Like, oh, come on, the voters don't look at war. We all know this. Yeah, <laughs> but so like he has ERA going for him, but everything else. Sure. So to me, it's like a two horse race, most likely between Gallon and Strider. Spencer Strider has twelve wins, tied for the major league lead. Zach Gallon has eleven. Their ERAs are very close. Strider's is like three point six one, and then Gallon's is like three point four. Spencer Strider has 208 strikeouts. The strikeouts are—they're ridiculous. I don't think I think I think they said he's 36 up over the next closest in all of the major leagues. Yeah, it's crazy. They both have pretty good whips. I think I know Strider's is 1.09, and I think Gallons is close-ish to there. But you also have this—the Braves are the number one team in the National League. The Diamondbacks might not make the playoffs. I just. When it comes down to it, to me, Strider only loses if he gets hurt. Knock on wood. Because he's got the wins, and he's got the strikeouts, and the ERA is continuing to go down. He plays Pittsburgh on Monday, and he plays the Mets in his next outing after that. I I I talked to Eric and Marty and, of course, Little Cheesecake, the three guys I trust the most, and I said, am I missing something here? Is it to me... if Strider stays healthy, is he realistically? The path can- is there. Yeah, the path seems there. You outlined it. That schedule alone, being on a really good team, he's already got the rest of it's already baked in, right? All the what he's done this season is already baked in. All you have to do is really look at what he can do moving forward, and he has everything in his tool belt to do it. He's yeah. on a winning ball team. He's playing not great opponents, at least in the near future. That'll help pad those stats even more. In yeah, and I can't. Obviously, the Atlanta is not going to mess with his innings or sit him or anything like that down the stretch, especially if he is in line to win this award for them. Because this is, I know it's an individual award, and obviously, there's baked into his contract, I'm sure, where he could get bonuses and all that. But it, this also brings attention to the team, and this is a publicly traded team. Everybody remember that as well. The better, the better their players do, the better the team does, the better all their stockholders do as well. And they just, the Atlanta Braves just separated themselves from the rest of I don't know, the Turner empire or whatever it is. And so they, that's gotta be, that's gotta be something in the back of your mind when you're talking about the Atlanta organization is that a, this is a publicly traded company mm-hmm. and they're all, everything that they do and everything that they make public makes an impact more so than any other team. The Braves are going to be the best team in baseball this year, barring a collapse. So they'll be the number one team in baseball, and then you'd have the number one pitcher, arguably in all baseball. And shout out to Marty Party because I was on the phone with him and he looked it up, and I didn't even look that in F War that him and Gallon were both tied like at the top. So like, it's to me, it would take him getting hurt. Sure. That would be the only way he wouldn't win at this point. Like Gallon's been great. And Gallon goes tomorrow against the Twins, who are one of the worst strikeout teams against right-handed pitching this year. So I'm sure that will help Gallon as well. 
but Strider has had double digit strikeouts in four of his last five outings. He had nine his last outing. That's what he like, does. <laughs> yeah, like he's his ERA is down to three six one. Like I think he can get that ERA down to three three by the end of the season, at the very least. And I think then it's just like a slam dunk at that point because he'll have all he'll have the pitching triple crown except the ERA. Obviously, he'll, like, but he might not be too far off from it at that point. So the fact that he was plus money, I felt like to me was like a slam dunk bet for me. That's nice. But hopefully, yeah. we listen to this recording back. <laughs> and I think they announced. I think they announced the winner Aug- October first. I don't literally sit there and just cry. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, you have other things that you have on your mind at that yeah. time that you'll at least can shove it under the rug a little bit. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) All right, let's stick with, I'm going to stick with the NL East here. We'll go to Philadelphia. They added Michael Lorenzen to their rotation. Lorenzen not in the running for NL Cy Young as he spent all of his season in the American League, not to mention that he's still Michael Lorenzen. He comes over from the Detroit Tigers for the Phillies. The Phillies said that they're going to stick with a six-man rotation until their next day off, which is not until August 14th. They'll reevaluate after that. As somebody who has streamed Lorenzen quite a bit throughout the season, I, I don't think he's been rostered on any of my teams for more than like a week and a half or two-week period. But I've definitely streamed him in a bunch of places when he had a good matchups because that's what he's good for. If he has a good matchup, he does good things. If he doesn't have a good matchup, just stay away. And somebody who rosters Christopher Sanchez in a couple places as well. I ask you, who do you want to see get the bump? If you actually want to see anybody get the bump out of that rotation, if they go back to a five-man rotation, because they do have two off days that week of the 14th. So you got to assume that somebody is getting the bump either to the bullpen or to some other, maybe gets a demotion if they have options or what have you. And who do you actually think the Phillies are going to bump out? This one's hard. Ranger Suarez, I think, to me, was like one of the potential options here because he hasn't been very good since the start of July. He had a really nice stretch for a little while, but he's definitely tailed off. And I would have said Christopher Sanchez, I think, has carved out a nice role, but five innings, six earned runs today against the Royals. So that's obviously... I'm sorry? Killing me. I know, dude. (laughs) Who would have thought against the Royals of all teams that he would have done that? But he, yeah, dude, like, I, I think obviously he'll get another start. And if, but if he bombs in his next start, he'll be the easy choice where I think they'll demote him or, or like they'll put him in the bullpen for sure. So if he gets another start and he doesn't do well, he'll definitely, I think, be the easy option here. Ranger Suarez, I think, otherwise will get it. The only reason I'm putting Lorenzen as a possibility at this point is. He actually is at a career high in innings pitch already this season. And he's 16 innings over his number last season, like at this point too. I wonder if the Phillies, since they're chasing a playoff spot here, if they'll put him as a bulk reliever just towards the end of the season here, just to manage his innings. Because if you can't have him go more than four or five, might as well have him piggyback somebody. Like I, I just that's the only reason I feel like he might go to the bullpen out of all of them, just because of the innings concerns. Yeah, that's probably where I'm at. I think 
Sanchez is the most likely. It's almost like, granted, Lorenzen just joined the team. He had been a starter all season, or Sanchez's last man in, first man out situation, mm-hmm. as well as he had been doing up until Saturday. Today, as we're recording this, yeah, I agree. If unless he throws like a just a complete game shutout or a perfect game or something, it, something incredibly well deserved, he's my guess that will lose the that lose that spot in that rotation. They do face they have four game stretch against Washington to start next week and then they have Minnesota as well. All these games at home in Philadelphia. So it looks like Suarez and Lorenzen are probably going to get Washington where because they're in a six man rotation, Sanchez is going to get a start against Minnesota. So granted Minnesota is one of those strikeout king teams, so that's mm-hmm. nice to see they're still leading their division and they can still hit the ball rather well. So if they can knock him around, he might still rack up the strikeouts like he did today. Sanchez, I believe still had seven strikeouts today mm-hmm. in his five innings of work, even though he gets set up all those hits and runs, you can get the strikeouts, but if you're letting up runs, that's, you can still get those strikeouts in the bullpen, which I agree. I think that's the route that's going to be, we're going to be going. And that's unfortunate because he's been a nice little ad over the last couple of weeks. And he can still be solid in points leagues, and especially if you have a starting pitcher limit, like I do in like our home league, we have that, and he'd be a valuable piece to have. He's relief pitcher and starting pitcher eligible, so you, that's a really good thing to have. And then obviously just in roto formats too, like he should give you obviously, again, decent strikeout numbers. If he's only going through the, bat, the batting order once or twice, potentially, he should have good ratios as well. So. Mm-hmm. If, if it's a deeper 15-team league, I don't necessarily think I would drop him. If you see that he loses his rotation spot, I think he'll definitely be a valuable piece. Yeah, those sparps are nice to oh, have yeah. in those leagues where you have those roster spots. Yeah. All right, we, have, oh, we still have a whole bunch to get to, and we will get to all of it. We are going to take another quick break. All right, we're back. Before we get into the rest of the rest of the trades, I do want to remind everybody, if you are looking to make some money on MLB games this season, throughout the rest of the season, you need to be trying Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. The Underdog Pick'em game, which we talk about pretty much every week, and you can hear a lot of different strategy throughout the Pitcher List podcast network as well on different shows. You pick your favorite baseball players. You predict whether they go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, overall fantasy points, walks. There's a whole bunch of different ones depending on the players that go out throughout the course of the day. And more, you pick up to between two and five players. You get all of your pick right, and you get to win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up if you are doing this for the first time. Sign up with a picture list code, the promo code picture list, all one word P I T C H E R L I S T, all capital letters. Look for the notes in the show notes here on the podcast for more information. Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So you have some bonus cash to start playing with. So you put in 50 bucks. Underdogs will put in another 50 bucks. You put in 100 bucks. You'll get another 100 bucks for him. You start off with 200 bucks. That's how math works. It's fun. Underdogfantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Mandy, I know that you play some Underdog as well. I know I've been dabbling this season and it's been a fun platform to play on. Have you had any success or not so much success on the platform, at least with these pick'em games? Yeah, I've had a decent amount of success. I just like it because Underdog makes it super easy. I think for especially like 
you can get lost on a lot of these other sites. There's so many different ways to find props and other things. Underdog, it's very simple and it makes it easy to to win some money. So if you guys have not checked out Underdog, make sure you use that promo that promo code PitcherList because anytime you can double your first deposit, oh, why not? Money, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a slam dunk. So yeah, you guys definitely got to check out Underdog for sure. Yeah, it's nice. The insurance was something I didn't see at first when I started playing that. I think that was a fun little addition to it where if you pick up the, you pick three or more players, you can purchase the insurance, which basically means you can get one of them wrong and Mm -hmm. still win money as opposed to having to get every single one of them right. Again, you don't have to put five in, but if you want to 20 times your money, then yeah, you get to pick five and get all five of them right. So check that out if you haven't already. There's still plenty of baseball season to take advantage of there. Make sure that you are 18 or older to play and in a state where underdog fantasy operates, you do have to be 19 or over in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 and over in Massachusetts or Arizona. Terms do apply. If you're concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, you can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, you can call 1-800-889-9789. So keep in mind all the things we're talking about too, where you can consider the matchups that the players are playing. And you would talk about this high strikeout team with Minnesota. If if your pitchers are going up against these teams, you can go on the over with the strikeouts. A lot of different ways you can go with that. So keep in mind everything we're talking about here and take advantage of that. All right, let's move out of the NL East and go to Kansas City, where the Royals made more moves than personally I expected, especially after last year. And they're in the same realm as Colorado. We just felt like, you you guys know you can trade, right? This year, they made some more trades here. Closer Scott Barlow heads to San Diego. Nikki Lopez joins Atlanta, and Ryan Yarbrough joins Lance Lynn in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Lopez had been playing sporadically all around the diamond and the outfield for the Royals has yet to make his Atlanta debut from what I saw. I got to double check that. But Barlow had a strong hold of the closing duties for the Royals. Yarbrough was a piece of the Kansas City rotation. So who is filling all these holes in Kansas City? And the most important question here, should we care? Let's talk about caring first. (laughs) The Royals have had 33 save opportunities this year, which is the second worst in all of baseball only to the Chicago Cubs. They've converted only 17 of those 33 save opportunities. So should you care... Like for the closer job, technically no, but we're always going to talk about a closer. So if you are going to spec saves here, Carlos Hernandez is going to be the guy and he's actually pretty solid. So if you need saves and you're really looking for him, then you can tr- take a shot with Carlos Hernandez. I just don't know how many there's actually going to be there for you. There, Or in another way, there's not going to be really much meat on the bone there. Yeah, Carlos Hernandez would be the guy. As far as other guys to pick up, the two guys that came to mind for me were Michael Garcia and Michael Massey, who have both been really solid in the middle infield for the Kansas City Royals, and they might be rostered in your league. They might not be. Obviously, these are 15-team ads, but they'll get a lot of at-bats. Garcia doesn't have a ton of power, but he's hit 311 over his last 15 games and nearly 380 over his last seven. And Michael Massey has five homers over his last 15 games. Both of them have been very useful and definitely should be rostered, I think, in those 15-team formats. And they're going to get tons of at-bats, obviously, because the Royals don't really have many other guys to plug in there. So I think all those guys could definitely be useful. Yeah, Massey is a favorite of mine, somebody I called out last week as well. And I was a... (laughs) 
I was hoping that these trades would create more of an opportunity for him to play every day, regardless of matchups. But it does seem like Kansas City is still holding him out against lefties. He did not start today for the Royals, and he has not started against the in the last three lefties that they've seen. He has not started. So that is unfortunate, but that's not to say that he's still not plenty useful based on the production he is putting out there against righties, maybe pinch hitting as well once the handedness changes on the mound as well. Yeah, it's difficult because when you talk about this movie, we talked about this with with Pittsburgh as well. All right, fine. This a team not doing that well, a bad team at the bottom of the standings. They make some room for players to come in and take advantage of it. But are you know, are these players that are filling these holes of players that left going to be any better or in any better of a situation than the players that were already there. And I think that's the most difficult aspect to take away from this. The closer situation is always the same in my home dynasty league where our trade deadline is usually a couple days after the major league trade deadline, which I think is pretty common in leagues, but a lot of teams won't trade for closers until after the MLB trade deadline is over because they want to see who who's going to who's going to be out there on the waiver wire that I can just pick up for free. And of course, these are all the guys that are becoming available for free are the guys that are oh the where the closers position opens up on really bad teams and to echo your point, how many saves are they actually going to get opportunities for? Never mind actually convert. We talked about Brooks Raley earlier in the show. He was available. I grabbed him. Carlos Hernandez was available. Somebody else grabbed him. They're just like all these sporadic players you're like Oh, do I actually want to roster? Are these guys actually worth, even in this 12-team head-to-head league, is, are they actually worth the squeeze? If you And it, it's a difficult task to really to put yourself toward whether or not these guys are actually rosterable throughout the course of the, of the season and how much you're actually going to get out of it. I agree. Carlos Hernandez seems like a very good pitcher. Wish his team would give him more opportunity to actually make some conversions. All right, talking about closer moves here, the Mariners, they sent their closer, Paul Seawald, to Arizona. They added infielder Josh Rojas in the pro- in the process. Are, are we assuming that Andres Munoz, which I think was the most common assumption here after that? First of all, the trade was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. I know Paul Seawald was not only a backbone of a contender, as you mentioned, but he was beloved. <laughs> he was like in Seattle by his teammates. We were able to talk to him or Alex Fass was able to talk to him during PitchCon. It was like one of the opening interviews at PitchCon this year. He really seemed like he loved it there, loved mm-hmm. every aspect they had about it it's to see him. And they had a nice little send off for him on Twitter. I saw that little graphic they made for him. And obviously he said all the right things after it was said and done. But you just have this feeling that it hurt a little bit, if not a lot of bit. But anyway, Mm -hmm. he's now closing in Arizona, but is Andre Munoz taking over in Seattle or are there other players that play here? I do think he is just for the fact that obviously that's what he was being groomed to do. But at the same time, look at what's the biggest thing with closers when a team has a closer and he's unproven. I think the biggest concern is do you put him in a committee because we don't want him to basically get paid through the roof when it comes to arbitration, when it comes to contract being up, you kind of want to suppress the value in that sense. According to spot track, he's not a unrestricted free agent until 2029. 
So they have, I believe it was last off season or the season before that they said he signed a contract extension. So he is locked in to Seattle. So there is no reason for them to not make him a closer. And I do believe he's gotten every save opportunity they've had since they traded Seawall. So he is the closer and not just that, but he is going to be a top 10 relief pitcher drafted next season. I would be shocked if going into next year, assuming he stays in good health, that he's not ranked as a top 10 relief pitcher in 2024 fantasy drafts. He's He throws over 100 miles an hour. Stuff is electric. He's going to be on a team with a lot of save opportunities that's going to contend. So, yeah, Munoz is going to be, if he's out there in your league, he's... And especially if you need saves, he you got to spend a lot of fab on him. If you've been holding fab, this is the type of player that you're going to empty the bank for if you need saves. He's that type of player on a team that's going to give him a lot of opportunities. So Munoz is a must-add. Yeah, I absolutely agree, especially with the point that he's already signed that contract. Our, we, we, we talk about this a lot on this show. We had Grant Washburn on weeks and weeks ago. Check out his article. He has an updated version of it at pitcherlist.com where he talks about this very subject. And if you know that already signed that contract, wiping out all of his arbitration years, this has got to be somebody that you keep an eye on for. Matt Brash did get the save. Uh, uh, on Friday, but that's literally only because Munoz had saved the previous two days and had pitched three of the last four, pitching at least throwing at least 15 pitches in each of the last two games. So I wouldn't read anything into that whatsoever, but it is nice to see kind of Matt Brash getting some love, especially in higher level leverage situations in Seattle. Justin Topa, also a name at the top of that pecking order, if you will, as far as coming in there and vulturing the save when Munoz has been used a little bit too much. But Munoz is going to get the lion's share, if not 100% of the opportunities, as long as he's not being over overthrown here. Mm-hmm. So totally agree with you on that one. On the other side of that, Josh Rojas, can he, I, he was very similar to Bailey Falter, where he was doing really good things at the in the second half of last year. Obviously, not so much this season with Arizona. Can he do anything or enough in in now that he has a kind of a change of scenery with the Mariners to actually get back to fantasy usefulness with his talent set? You always hope the change of scenery is going to spark a player. He did not. He actually didn't start for the Mariners tonight. And I believe I'm trouble checking for last night as well. Did not see him in the lineup last night either. So I don't think this season he's going to be anybody that's going to move the needle, unfortunately. Maybe next year he could be somebody, or maybe down the stretch something happens. I'm not too optimistic for the rest of this year. I think he's a depth piece for the Mariners at this point. Maybe they plug him in. He can obviously play a couple different positions, but he, the Mariners aren't, running him out there again the last two days he hasn't played so i'm not too optimistic personally yeah i'm just unfortunately for him i'm just seeing him he basically just takes the place of colton wong who was dfa'd pretty much the Mm -hmm. day after the trade deadline with the addition of josh rojas name to look at see if he gets a run but like you said he hasn't started the last two days where seattle has faced a lefty starter I would assume that at the very least, that kind of platoon is going to be in in order. But he started two of the three games prior to that against all against righties as well. So he did mm-hmm. sit against the righty there. So I think that playing time is going to be sporadic unless they see even more injuries to that Seattle lineup, which Seattle doesn't really need to be dealing with anymore of those as well. No. 
All right, the Blue Jays, we alluded to a couple of these things that happened, but we'll get to a roundup of what they did. They added three St. Louis Cardinals. So I love it that the Blue Jays were adding all these Redbirds to their active roster after trading for Genesis Cabrera after he was DFA'd last week. Then they traded for Paul DeYoung and Jordan Hicks. Jordan Romano on the IL most assumed Hicks would be able to fill in the ninth inning duties for Toronto, but he's really yet to get an opportunity here. Are you holding Hicks on the chance that he vultures a save or two in the next week moving on, assuming that Romano comes back at 100% and just retakes that role anyway? I would hold on to Hicks for a couple of reasons. Number one, they did put Swanson in there initially before they got Hicks, and he didn't necessarily do great in that role. Swanson's been a great reliever for them, and I think he'll continue to be the eighth inning guy. But Again, the Blue Jays are contending right now, fighting for a playoff spot. Hicks is going to be the guy while Romano is on the IL, and I would imagine that they are heavily invested in Romano. If I'm not mistaken, I believe they also signed him to an extension, so they're not going to rush him back. So in the meantime, Hicks could be in there saving games for a week or two. It could be in there longer. So anybody that's going to be getting saves on a team that's expected to get some wins Jordan Hicks definitely should be somebody that should be rostered as long as Jordan Romano is on the IL. And then keep an eye, even when he comes back from the IL, that maybe they don't throw him right back in there and they might ease him back into there a little bit. So Hicks, to me, is somebody you definitely should add. Romano is not one of those players that signed a long-term contract. He is under control until 2026. Uh, That's what it was. And I knew he was signed with them for a while. He's definitely under control for a while, but his the number of saves that he puts up will impact his next contract. So that is, if nothing else, if you really want to manipulate, you really want to put your tinfoil hat on, that would be <laughs> another reason to keep him on the IL a little bit longer just so mm-hmm. he doesn't have that opportunity. Or like you said, ease him back into that role now that they have a little uh, reloaded bullpen, not only with Hicks, but with Cabrera. And obviously, Emi Garcia also doing pretty good things for them as well, along with Eric Swanson, who they just traded for to be a high leverage kind of guy. All right, we'll stay in the AL East. Here's the Rays. They move on from Luis Patino, but they sent him to Chicago for cash. And that's always hurts you a little bit when you see that. You always make the jokes like, oh, we're going to trade this guy for a bag of balls. You <laughs> literally did that with Luis Patino. You can use that cash to buy anything, even a bag of balls here. They did add to their ailing rotation, though, by trading for, as you mentioned, Aaron Savali from the Guardians. But the question I have for you, though, is the Rays rotation has seen so many injuries this season, specifically with multiple Tommy John surgeries, and now Shane McClanahan also being placed on the IL. Is this move just a kiss of death for Savali, or is he going to thrive in his new threads? I don't think that... I know the rotation has been beat up like any we've ever seen before. All the guys they've lost this year, Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen, Shane McClanahan, looks like he could be done for a while. Glass now missed most of the season. It's, you name it at this point. Savali has missed time this year, but he hasn't pitched that many innings compared to what he has in the past. He also doesn't throw super hard. So I do think that at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily scared that Savali's going to get hurt, although I don't want to jinx anything. But they need him down the stretch here because they don't have the arms. They're stretching out Zach Liddell right now just because they don't have the depth. So they're going to fire him up every fifth day, and Savali should be good to go rest of season. I would be shocked if for something were to happen and change that. 
Yeah. If anything, yeah, I agree. This is more of a guarantee for Savali in Tampa of having a role in the rotation throughout the rest of the season than he had in Cleveland coming mm-hmm. back. Not to say that Cleveland was going to bump him of everybody out. We've seen what the Cleveland pitching factory has done and con- continues to do. And so I'm not, he did get the bump in a way. He got traded away from the rotation in Cleveland. So I think that because of all the missing pieces and what they really need in Tampa right now, that Savali is going to continue. That, that being said, yeah, not a guy that I roster. I don't think I have rostered him anywhere. And it's ultimately just I don't really have a reason for not having targeted him at all. Obviously, he has some stuff that can miss miss bats in such a way where he's mitigating his ERA and his whip and his ratios, but not somebody that I'm going after if he were on the wire in a shallow league just because in those situations, I want those strikeouts. You need those strikeouts. I can almost take the hit on those ratios to get those strikeouts in those scenarios. And in deeper leagues, he's been rostered all season, so it's not really a concern. Rays also, this came through just recently, so I added this on here to stick with the Rays here. Not a trade situation, but to add to the rookie prospect weekly deal, which it seems like it happens every single week this season. There's some rookie or prospect that everybody wants to bid on. It's all spread out throughout the course of the 2023 season. The Rays continue that with calling up Curtis Mead on Friday after the deadline finally making his first he did not start on friday he makes his first start on saturday he batted sixth he started at third base is curtis mead worth major fab bid if you still got money left over as the newest rookie target for the 2023 season in your opinion first do you know who curtis Mead was traded for he was a player we brought up tonight i knew this like literally like two days ago (laughs) i don't very surprisingly, Christopher Sanchez. Oh, nice. Nice. Yes. <laughs> a one-for-one one swap there. But yeah, so Curtis Mead this season's been pretty good at AAA. 291 batting average, only three home runs. So the power hasn't been there, but he's only struck out in 12.8% of his appearances at AAA. Overall, uh, just a very nice player. The only problem is the Rays. And we've seen with the Rays, he batted sixth in his debut but this is a team that just mix and matches all the time. Josh Lowe, who we thought he was going to be breaking out, especially how he looked to start the year. He's a platoon player now. We've seen them do it with Brandon Lau. We've seen them do it with just everybody on this team that's not a regular, like that Randy Rosa Reigns plays every day. Wander Franco plays every day. But Curtis Mead as a rookie, I don't expect to get that privilege yet. And so if you're expecting to throw the rest of your fab dollars on this being the last big rookie pickup. That's my hesitancy. You look at the team and their history and what they do with these types of players. I think you'll just be very disappointed because you'll throw them in your weekly lineup and maybe he only plays three games. And at that point to me, it's not worth what the fab dollars are going to be to get him. Will he produce potentially, but I don't see it being enough to where you can spend that type of money on him. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we have the names like Jonathan Aranda mm-hmm. taking the brunt of that situation. Exactly what you're alluding to, being jumped around between AAA and the majors, and not playing every day when he's in the majors. And so that's like the epitome. Obviously, we always make jokes over Edward Oliveira's doing that with Kansas City, just going back and forth. I- I'm not sure that Mead will go back and forth per se, but I'm a hundred percent on board with the fact that I do not expect him to play every day. 
And I don't think it'll be in like a platoon split. I just think it'll be, all right, it's your turn. Okay, now you can send the bench today. And I don't think there's going to be like a true rhyme or reason to it at this point. Granted, it's only been two days. We don't know that, but this is just where my gut is going. But that Isaac Paredes playing third base pretty much every day prior to this call-up for at least the two weeks prior to it going on. Yandy Diaz has first base locked down, and he's he's in that group with that Wander Franco's and the Randy Rosarinas of He's finally moved into that role of playing every single day for Tampa with a random day off here or there or being on paternity leave. But really, he's playing every single day. But it is far and few between to find a positional player that plays every day for the Rays. And if you got it, that would first base would be the position that Meade could maybe possibly fill in for now and again. But if that's one of the positions that's actually locked down for them. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't be spending all my, my, I wouldn't be spending my hammer on Curtis Meade just because of the prospect recognition. But I would hope that somebody else in my league would be. All right, we got two more left here. First, we're going to go with the Red Sox. We'll save the biggest one for last here. I think we pretty much touched on most of them anyway. But the Red Sox, they were fairly quiet after reuniting Enrique Hernandez with his former team. But they did bring in Luis Urias from the Brewers. Urias has been spending his days in AAA for Milwaukee, but he had recently been brought up by Boston and started at second base on Friday while Christian Arroyo got DFA'd to make room, which was personally, as a Red Sox fan, I was just a little disappointed. Like Arroyo, I feel, has been that guy that's been... He'll, he's just done everything that's been asked of him. I believe I read Alex Cora said that just because Arroyo has less flexibility than others on the roster, that he was that was the reason why he ended up being DFA in this situation. But I hope Christian Arroyo gets picked up somewhere and does good things. Trevor Stories is also expected to rejoin the Red Sox next week as his rehab time limit is going to run out on Wednesday. He is slated to start. I believe he started at DH today on Saturday for the Woo Sox in Worcester. And then he's supposed to play shortstop on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. We'll see how he works out the rest of the week. But his time does run out on Wednesday, so he should be expected to be back with the Boston Red Sox later on in the week at the latest. Are you interested in Urias in his new situation in Boston or story for that matter coming back now that he's got new threads on. I think story is always going to be somebody that we're going to take a shot on. So if he's out there in any league, I'm sure he'll be picked up and definitely want to see what he has the rest of the season. I do want to talk about Luis Urias though. I think he's going to be one of the players that assuming he doesn't boom the rest of the season to where his ADP goes up towards maybe not worth it. I think he's going to be an absolute draft day steal next year. And the reason I think that, look just last season, he had 16 home runs and 47 RBIs in 119 games with the Brewers last year, hit 239. Not necessarily incredible, but 16 home runs from a middle infield position is really nice. And he does a lot of things. He has He can play a couple different positions. And he's in the two games with the Red Sox. He already has three hits in his first eight at-bats. Tonight, he's two for four with a double and an RBI. I think the change of scenery is going to be really big for him. And I just he's one of those players I just see hitting really well for the Red Sox. Again, it's not like he hasn't ever hit for for some power and hasn't shown flashes. So to me, I think he's going to be a very useful piece in fantasy the rest of this season. I think he's somebody that I'm going to pick up in as many leagues as possible in those 15-teamers. Because I think he's going to get a lot of playing time, and I think he's going to deliver. 
and the Red Sox can move him around in a lot of different places. Urias is definitely somebody I think that is I'm going to be taking a shot on in a lot of leagues the rest of this year. Yeah, he's like you said. I like the flexibility for your leagues, like the NFBC, where you have a little bit more of a threshold to meet. He'll probably con- he'll keep his shortstop eligibility, and he'll probably keep the second base eligibility, assuming that the Red Sox are going to keep him there at second base mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the season. He'll also keep third base eligibility in leagues like Yahoo that only need the 10 games played or five games started. So that triple eligibility in those shallower formats is still nice, regardless of how many how many players you have on there. But still nice to have the dual eligibility in NFBC and other formats like that as well. New, I think, has different formats as well. So keep an eye on that and how where the Red Sox are actually playing him for that for next season. I agree. Obviously, the two-game sample is as small as it gets, but it is nice to see that he's hit the ground running. I think officially he played, he was on the AAA roster for one day for Boston. The fact that they called him up right away is a nice sign for them to, they obviously, just look pretty much the only trade they made. <laughs> so you'd think that they want to take advantage of that. And the Red Sox had been one of the hottest teams in baseball leading up to the trade deadline. So it's nice that he can jump right into that situation and run with it. Somebody I would definitely be looking at in Fab this week if he is available since he had been playing most of the time in AAA. I would assume he is available a whole bunch of places. Yeah, 8% rostered in the main event. So he's available pretty much everywhere. If he was 8% available, 8% rostered in the main event, 15 teamers, NFBC, he's available in your league. Regardless. I'll be throwing a lot of money on him. Not like like, not like a crazy amount of money, but he'll be the player I bid on in every league just for the eligibility factor and the fact that he can contribute multiple categories. Like he's going to be like those type of players where it's, oh, somebody got hurt, I can just move him here. And the fact that he'll be playing Definitely. every day for them, most likely, like there, there's so many useful aspects for him that, yeah, like it, he's the type of player, like if you can sneak like a $9 bid in or something, maybe the people that are strictly been looking at football might not notice, or there are other bigger names, Curtis Mead or Kyle Manzardo, potentially, if you're in a league where I know NFBC, you can't pick him up yet. Leagues like that where those names are going to flash, he might slide under the radar a little bit. And so you can throw a couple dollars on him and then he'll be a very useful piece to have, even if he's on your bench as an injury replacement. Great pickup right here. There is at least one NFBC-based league that Kyle Manzardo would be available and that would be one of our on-the-wire listener leagues where I drafted Manzardo in like the November, like one of the leagues we did drafts in November, I drafted him in one of those drafts. Like, you know what? This seems fun. And obviously dropped him after That's week awesome. one or the week one fat period. The fact that he was drafted now makes him eligible to be picked up in that league. So I need to go back and check the free agent wire to see if he's actually still out there. If somebody <laughs> took a chance on that. The last one here, we saved the one of the bigger ones for last. We talked about the very beginning of the show, but the Mets, they started their run at the 2025 season. As it was talked about, Cohen talking to Max Serger saying that they're not making a run at 2024. They'll be making a run maybe at 2025 at the earliest. They parted with just about everything that wasn't nailed down, including sending aces Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer to the two Texas-based franchises. Of course, Verlander going back to Houston and Scherzer going with the Rangers. I want to also give props to Yahoo here. They have pretty much everybody who was traded. They've already changed their profile pictures on, on their player pages to have their new jerseys. And I'm very impressed by that. I'm just going to throw that out there. Give awesome. Yahoo. 
We give Yahoo plenty of slack for other things that they do. I play a lot of leagues on Yahoo. So I noticed this right away. Props to them for keeping that updated. Obviously, the Justin Verlander one was probably really easy to do, but Scherzer going into a Rangers uniform. Well done. They also sent outfielders Mark Canna and Tommy Fan out of town with Canna going to Milwaukee and Fan going to Arizona, respectively. And as mentioned earlier, they lost closer David Robertson as he was shipped off to Miami. So they left a lot of holes to fit, finish out 2023. No idea what they're going to do for 2024. Cohen did say that they're probably not going. Well, at least he told Max Scherzer that they weren't going after any big names in the offseason. We'll see if he changes his tune. But for now, for the rest of the season, who are you seeing filling in the gaps here with the holes left by at least these four big players? In the in the rotation, David Peterson and Tyler McGill now have everyday roles in the rotation when they didn't before those were the guys we were talking about fighting for the fifth job now they're the fourth and fifth starter behind Kodai Senga Carlos Carrasco Jose Quintana if you need to take a spec look at those guys if they're out there they'll be pitching now every fifth day in terms of the actual batting lineup Brett Beatty's going to get everyday playing time you obviously Nimmo is going to be in center Mark I would love to see more at bats for Mark Vientos, who right now the depth charts have showed that he's not necessarily in the everyday starting lineup penciled in right now. But I would like, I'm obviously I'm hoping this will get him, even if it's just minute, a couple more at bats a week. But I do think that they'll work him in to where he'll be an everyday regular just so they can get him the experience. And then hopefully at the end of the day, I think it's the rookie eligibility thing at this point. You'll see Ronnie Mauricio in left field for them within a couple weeks. So he'll be the, probably the hot fab pickup in a few weeks here. Once it's safe to say that he won't lose his rookie eligibility. So you'll see Mark Vientos, you'll see Ronnie Mauricio, you'll see Brett Beatty. You'll see Brandon Nimmo out there, but they'll be giving a lot of the young guys, I think some run here. Yeah. It seems to be the obvious play here. Of course, Beatty already playing pretty much every day. He was sitting a couple against a couple of lefties as of late, right before the trade deadline. I would assume that's not going to necessarily happen the rest of the way, or at least not on a regular basis. Yeah. I saw reports that the Mets didn't feel like Mauricio was ready yet, but I think that's just I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that's just kind of code for at the very least, we want to keep this rookie eligibility for next season. We'll see how that how that plays out in the coming weeks. But Mets left a lot of holes. The rotation, I wanted it to be more of a conversation, but I'm, I agree. It's like these are the two obvious names that are going to fill this role. We talked about them both at at in the offseason. Who's going to get this spot? Who's going to get this spot? And it turns out neither one of them deserved this spot, never mind got the spot. Mm-hmm. So I, not guys, these are definitely two guys that I had a lot more hype on this time last year, if not just like five months ago. But in most scenarios, we'll definitely be a wait-and-see approach to see if they can actually kind of return to form and put up the innings and the ratios that go along with it moving forward. The Mets are a little bit of a garbage fire right here, right now, and not something that I'm particularly excited to be going after unless I'm looking at streaming a pitcher that is going to be playing in New York against them in the next couple of weeks. I am disappointed especially after seeing that photo that was circulating that Luke Voigt not only did not get the call up, but he got his release from the mm-hmm. Mets after putting up the numbers he did in AAA for them, which is what Luke Voigt does. All right. I think we hit on 
just about everything that we're going, we hit on everything we're going to hit on today, Mandy. So I really appreciate the time. We'll get to, I know your show and a whole bunch of other shows have hit on all the little intricacies of all the different trade deadline pieces. So I appreciate going through and picking out the pieces that are affecting our fab considerations for this Sunday. Take as long as you like, as long as you need to let everybody know where they should be, not where they could be, but where they should be listening to your lovely voice and following the work that you're putting out. I appreciate the kind words, man. And yeah, obviously, if you guys want to check out the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball podcast, me, Marty Party, Little Cheesecake and Doc, we go live every single Thursday night on YouTube. Just type in Triple Play Fantasy, it'll pop up. And then the podcast is always out every Friday morning if you want to listen to the audio version. And then we have a lot of great shows on our podcast network. We also have The Call Up, which is me, Michael Richards, Vinny, who you know is down on the farm, eight on Twitter, and then also now Josh St. Marie, who used to be on the SP Streamer podcast. He's also now hosting with me on that show. And then we also have the Fantasy Baseball Beat, which is Dr. Mike Carter, and we also have Torres, of course, on there. And they talk to beat reporters all around. Yeah, just check out Triple Play Fantasy for a bunch of your baseball needs. We love pitcher lists, everything that goes on there. But it, obviously, we just you can never be too great of a fantasy baseball player. So listen to pitcher lists, listen to Triple Play. It's only going to help you out. Yeah, of course, you've got your triple play. So if you've got your content with football and basketball as well. So if you guys mm-hmm. are making the move over there, make sure that you are leaning on these guys for your football content as well. So yeah, you guys put out great work in that realm. Not a realm that I personally venture <laughs> forth into. I'll be sticking with baseball all the way through September. I play in one fantasy football league and it's like this dynasty league that has folded and folded and unfolded three times and i just i it's just one of those things where i'm like i'm all right i've been in it for 15 years i can't leave it but it's not something that i i put a flag on or anything like that i will be leaning on your guys's content to actually feel like i can hold my own in in that situation and you guys should be doing that as well thank you yeah i appreciate that i i think it's cool because you can always have a baseball season fantasy and then football and it's like you never have an off season because you always have something that takes your time so it's cool that way that's fair that's fair definitely all right that is going to wrap it up for episode 126 of on the wire you can follow myself on the twitter at 80 grade that's all spelled out kevin is at hasting kevin of course follow the pod itself at on the wire pod to once again thank our guest dave mendelson for joining us this week follow him at d mendy o2 after all that i am adam howe and on behalf of kevin hasting thanks for listening and we bid you goodbye